Let us listen together first to Paul's first letter to the Corinthians and listen for the word of God. And may God add a blessing to the reading, the hearing, and the understanding of the holy word. Here, Paul is really summarizing the heart of the faith that he's sharing with these churches he's planting. Now, I would remind you, brothers and sisters, of the good news that I proclaimed to you, which you in turn received in which you also stand, through which also you are being saved if you hold firmly to the message that I proclaimed to you, unless you have come to believe in vain. For I handed on to you as of first importance what I in turn had received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, For I am the least of the apostles, unfit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me has not been in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we proclaim, and so you have come to believe." And in our gospel reading this morning, we see Jesus calling his first disciples in the gospel of Luke. And to set the scene, Sherry, thank you for this beautiful image on the cover of the bulletin. We picture that these fishermen have been out fishing all night long. Imagine working a night shift, and the story only just begins as the day starts. You're ready to go home and go to bed, but we enter the story at this point. The way they used to fish is they would take two boats out on the lake at night, and they would float a little lantern out, and the fish would be drawn to the light of the lantern, and they'd stretch wide nets in between the two boats and try to bring in a good catch. And this is how very poor fisher, fishermen would survive. So it was a hard night for Peter when Jesus comes along. Let's listen for the word of God. Once while Jesus was standing beside the lake of Gennesaret, which is also known as the Sea of Galilee, but it really is a lake, not a sea. And the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God. He saw two boats there at the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon. Now Simon's name here, you know he will be called Simon Peter when Jesus calls him Peter, the rock. But his name, Simon, the one his parents gave him, comes from a word which means to listen. So Jesus has Simon, the listener here, as a captive audience. Hear what he does. So he gets in the boat, the one belonging to the listener, and asks him to put out a little way from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. 
Can you picture his voice echoing off the water so that all of the crowds around can hear this message he has? When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, I imagine he's so tired. Master, we have worked all night long but have caught nothing. Yet if you say so, I will let down the nets. Reluctant, but he obeys. When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break, so they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. When they had brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. Oh, Peter. Where to begin with Peter? Frank introduced me to such an incredible hymn, which we will sing at the close of our worship service. It's so profound. I feel like it says more than a sermon ever could when we tell this story through Peter's eyes, but tell it as though it's our own. So I feel safe in that If this sermon takes many twists and turns and leaves you a little confused, we will close worship with the experience that we all need to really understand this passage. But Peter, so I will start with a confession. Until pretty recently, I didn't really love Peter. I didn't really get him. I thought of him as what the kids today would call a bro, a dude bro, the kind of guy who loved calling his friends by nicknames like Boomer and the kind of guy who would just punch his friends in the bicep as he ran by them, the kind of guy who was always missing the point, even if you explained it to him so slowly and clearly, he just wouldn't get it. He might talk a big game, but then let you down. I used to sort of gloss over his stories when I was reading the Gospels and spend more time with some that I liked better. But I have a new admiration, a new appreciation for Peter. His personality has come alive for me, and I want to introduce him to you as though he's now a friend of mine, someone I call the Rock, like Peter called him, like Jesus called him, nicknamed him Petros, the Rock, and said he was the Rock on which he would build his church. There's so much more to Peter than I first realized. So I preached on this a little bit at the last Confirmation Sunday, because the first time my eyes were opened to who Peter might really have been, was through Rob Bell's NUMA video series. The Confirmands and I watched the video Dust, and you can find it online. And what Rob Bell explains is that the people who Jesus called were not the best and the brightest, and the way we know this is that if they had been, they would not have been fishermen. Rob Bell says that at that time, 
These Jewish families loved scholarship and learning so much. They revered the rabbis, and just about every young child, every little boy, would start studying to become a rabbi themselves. And you would sit at the feet of a rabbi and you would learn. And the rabbis would have to winnow down their students as they realized who was the best of the best. And when they realized someone wasn't going to make the cut, I'm sure they would bless them and lovingly dismiss them and send them off and say, it's time for you to go home and practice your father's trade. And so when Jesus is walking down the shores and he sees these fishermen fishing with their fathers, their brothers, their cousins, they were the ones who already had not made the cut. They were what Rob Bell calls the JV team or the B team. They were rabbinical school dropouts. Jesus already knew he was choosing from people who had shown themselves to not be the best and the brightest. Peter is called ordinary in Acts. He's called uneducated. But the thing about Peter is that no one knew this more than himself. In our gospel, as soon as he sees this miracle, this catch of fish, the first thing he does is fall down at Jesus' knees and say, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. And what Rob Bell tells us is that it isn't only that we have faith in God, it's that God has faith in us. And it's through Peter's story that we see that even in our faults, even in all of the ways we bumble along and mess things up and miss the point, God can still work through us. God has faith in us. So when Jesus, the rabbi, who's already gaining crowds and popularity, when he calls Peter, he's saying to him, you can be my student. I, you, you can be my disciple, and I have faith in you that you can do these amazing things and be the rock. And so the other way I reconnected with Peter and learned so much more about him recently is through Adam Hamilton's book, Simon Peter, Flawed but Faithful Disciple. Adam Hamilton is the pastor of a megachurch in Kansas, and he had traveled to the Holy Land and made beautiful videos as he retraced the steps where we believe Peter walked, and archaeologists have even found a home where they believe Peter lived with his mother-in-law. And Jesus would spend so much time there that they even called Peter's mother-in-law's house. They would say Jesus returned home to that place. So they've built, I think in the fourth century, they knew that this was a very special place right outside the synagogue where they knew Jesus teached. And you can still see if you go today. I hope I'll get to go one time. Has anyone been here to Capernaum in the Holy Land? One hand. Anyone up here? Yes? Have you seen the, the stones, the dark stones that are the foundations? And as things so often happen, they build on top of that and on top of that. So there's this one place that's the synagogue where you can see the base where Jesus actually taught and healed people. And right across the way, a home that tradition holds was where Peter lived. And these simple stone structures. On top of that, they built a church and then on top of that, there's a Franciscan church that looks like a flying saucer. It's up on stilts, so you can see all of these historical details underneath. They even found a boat that's dated exactly from the time of Jesus. And you can see this ancient boat, and they built a replica of it. 
I want to go so badly and see what it's like. But I started really realizing that Peter was just this very simple, humble fisherman called by many people the Amharets. The... But I had thought that all of these factions in the church, so as Peter starts to travel and starts to plant churches and so many others are going around, I thought all of these stories that cast Peter in such a poor light were a result of the rivalry in churches. People saying, our apostle's better than your apostle. We learned things the right way because we learned it from this apostle. And so they would write and retell the stories that cast other leaders in a poor light. But what Adam Hamilton wrote that really opened my eyes is he said, well, what if it was actually Peter who's going around teaching, and this is his way of preaching, as saying, I've got to tell you about the time I really missed the point, and let me tell you about the time that I really blew it. Let me tell you, and he would just preach in this way so that people would really just be captivated because... Who wants to hear humble brags of somebody going around telling you how awesome they are? They recorded these stories because Peter told them, and Peter told them these stories because he knew that what he was doing was pointing to the love of God. Now, if I were going to be very honest right now, I would tell you a terrible story about myself and ask you in a long time if you remember it because that would really prove the point, right? And I'm not going to do that, because David already did this for me in a children's sermon when he told the kids about that time he punched someone in the nose. And I promise you, those kids are never going to forget that story. So now I picture Peter going around just telling it like it is, saying, I am a sinful man, saying that time I denied Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. And yet when Jesus is resurrected, first he comes to Peter. And he asks him three times to tell him that he loves him. As many times as we get it wrong, we get that many times to put it right. Because God has faith in us. If God can have faith in Peter, what can God do with us? So what would the invitation to be a Christian, to drop our nets to follow Jesus feel like if the ones who we had to follow were perfect, if they had gotten it right all the time, if they were the best and the brightest, would we even dare to follow? I don't think that we would. Peter's invitation is we can just be who we are. We can show up the way that we are. We can offer our little boat even when we're exhausted. We can start with listening to what it is we're called to do. And then we're invited on this ministry, on this incredible, daring adventure that ends up changing the world. Because what Jesus tells Peter is, if you love me, what we do is we care for other people. He says to him, if you love me, then tend my sheep, care for my flock. This is how Jesus invites Peter into ministry, is it's not something you really need to be that amazing to do, to love people, to care for people, to share good news and hope is really very simple, humble work. So this word, when Jesus sends Peter off, when he tells him what they're going to be doing, he says, 
Not, I will have you fish for men, which is how we think of it, but I will have you catching human beings, catching them, not fishing for them, but catching them. And the Greek word actually has the root for it of zoo, like zoology or a zoo where animals live. It has a word for life is the beginning syllable of this word for catch. So what it means is to catch something alive. Not fish and pull something out so it flops on the deck and dies, but catch people, capture them, awaken their imagination, awaken them as full human beings, awaken them to all of the possibilities of what they can do and be. So I want to close with a quote from Howard Thurman, which David always shares with people when they join the church. And it's, don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and go do it. Because what the world needs is people who have come fully alive. That's Howard Thurman. And that is what Peter is out to do, to catch people fully alive, to pull them into the boat that is the church, to captivate them, capture their imaginations, and together, even flawed to change the world through love. Thanks be to God.